Assalamu alaikum. Joining us today on the Progeny podcast is my dear friend Sheikh Muhammad Al Hilli, scholar, speaker, and author. And inshallah, there's lots to speak about on today's show the youth and their identity today, as well as the many challenges they face. We'll speak about the role of speakers and scholars, the role of women in our communities, as well as interestingly, Sheikh Muhammad Hilli's preparations for the holy month of Muharram. Thank you, Sheikhna, for joining us. Lots to speak about uh, in this podcast. Um, so I want to crack on first with asking you about the youth. Uh, firstly, because you're a youthful Sheikh. Uh, secondly, because you are involved with the different communities. Uh, I'm talking all the way in Australia, here in the U- United Kingdom, all parts of the UK you've traveled to, and the US, Canada, North America, and other parts of the world, including parts of Africa which I know you were during the holy month of uh, Ramadan. Um, how different would you say, and of course you you were brought up in this country, so how different do you, would you think the, the youth are f- today from 20 years ago? Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Thank you so much. I'm not sure I agree that I'm a youthful uh, <laughs> uh, person now. The gray hairs on my head uh, are testimony to the fact that I've kind of moved on, although... You know, it's an honor to be able to be grouped amongst the youth. Um, It's a very interesting question because I think most of us uh, are seeing the transition, seeing the so-called paradigm shift that we are witnessing in this day and age. What is um, very intriguing is that um, every generation has its own patterns, has its own trends and kind of uh, areas that they focus on. But today there's been uh, perhaps a change towards modernization that I would uh, classify as uh, a huge step towards making life somehow easy to practice and live. I think if if I was to, at the outset, really kind of summarize the major, major difference that we witness today is the need for people to somehow have an easier life in all aspects, uh, in all its dimensions. From so not just day. religious? No, 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 not just religious, but in every aspect, we, you know, technology is, is making people's lives, uh, you know, progressively easy. And so this has affected people's um, outlook towards how they conduct themselves. In my humble opinion, you know, my forefathers, all our forefathers and and grandfathers used to live a much more difficult life than we are living today. Their struggles were much more in the sense that they had to endure a lot more hardship in attaining what they wish to attain. Uh, Whereas today we're used to uh, a lifestyle where we get things, uh, the click of a button, and, and therefore that has resulted in less patience. It's resulted in, you know, just as an example, I know it's it's a kind of religious example, but if you look at Hajj, for example, it, you know, in this pilgrimage, uh, if you compare the pilgrimage today from how it was in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s, my first pilgrimage was in 1998. And when I compare it with 2019, is a huge difference because, you know, you look at the facilitation of uh, services out there. Uh, you look at, for example, air conditioning everywhere. You look at the availability of water. You look at, for example, the transport everything's changed that doesn't necessarily indicate it's a negative fact factor however the problem that i think we are uh in 
encountering is that given this modernization and technological advances, uh, the key area of the spiritual progression of our youth, their development, has also had a major hit. Simply because people want pocket-sized, bite-sized information. They're not willing to pick up a book now as much. Uh, you know, uh, publishers, libraries, um, people who who have books at home are complaining. They say, my kids don't read anymore. They're on their phones. Their concentration spans are so short now. So it's just as an example that we're moving towards a trend where people want things given to them on a plate. They don't want to necessarily fight or struggle or endure a little bit of a hardship to develop they want things and it's affecting for example marital relationships an area that i'm quite you know heavily involved i see couples a lot of the time and when i hear about some of their complaints uh, i wonder you know if if the same issues were faced by you know couples 30 40 years ago will have huge divorce rates at that time um People were willing to they encounter. Were more patient. Yeah, they were willing to encounter so much more than people today. Do you think that's got to do with 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 the identity of of Muslims in the West today? Mm. I mean, you mentioned uh, our forefathers or our grandparents, or you know, the, the Iraqi. Maybe this is the second generation for other communities. Third, maybe, mm. but their identity was was built in where they came from. So whether it was Najaf, Karbala, Kadhumain, you know, religious cities or even, uh, you know, Iraq, Iran, wherever they came from, their identity was built there. And then they came, they already, their identity had already been built. Mm. Whereas maybe today the your identity is being built around social media, if that makes mm. sense. D- d- does that affect the challenges that, 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 that the youth face? I think they've... First problem that the youth face with regards to who they are is that they don't know who they are. Mm. Um, you know, to start off with, you mentioned a very good point that perhaps back in the time it was much more clear in the mindset of people uh, uh, their their belonging, their their cultural affiliations, uh, their affinity with their religion. Today, I genuinely believe that there is a, a clash of identities and an identity crisis that some of our youth are encountering. When you speak to them, for example, they'll tell you they're comfortable with their Muslim identity in Islamic settings. But in outside world, when push comes to shove, due to Islamophobia, due to racism, due to fear of, you know, Fitting their lives, in. especially females, for example, they tend to become a little bit more reluctant to to somehow present themselves with that form of identity. So there is a a, a crisis out there. I, I did a, a number of interesting experiments or discussions in America and here, where I grouped, uh, you know youths in different age categories but mostly between 16 and 35 and i asked them would you identify yourself as british would you identify yourself as muslim would you identify yourself as muslim british british muslim shia iraqi iraqi british shia uh, muslim and all these different um, kind of labels so to speak and it was it was very interesting seeing their responses and one of the things that emerged from these kind of experiments is that people would identify themselves differently 
in accordance with the environment that they're in and uh, the pressures that they're in. So if they're with their fathers and if they're with their community, they wouldn't necessarily be reluctant to say, I am an Iraqi or I'm a Pakistani or I am Khodja. Whereas when they're with their friends at university, their so-called Britishness, their Americanness, Canadianness, Aussiness, all these kind of things emerge much more. And so we are, you know, at a crossroads, perhaps. That's a real problem. Then, if, uh, from from what you're saying, and obviously you mentioned um, different parts of the world, the 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 problem is then. And they're going to end up with with what different personalities <laughs> when they're in the university than when they're in the mosque. Yeah. What's the challenges you you end up facing when you have different identities? Because I I feel the problem would be is isn't that being I don't know if, that, if that's the right word, but you're being a hypocrite maybe. Well, maybe in that's a way, too. In too a way, much. what it does it creates this conflict in the mindset of a youth as to exactly how am I going to lead my life in accordance with with type of instruction or principles or uh, governance. So if I'm not comfortable with my Muslim identity, and if I don't believe that it can be compatible with my British identity, um, then I may come to a point where one has to trump the other or has to oversee the other mm-hmm. or, or become the dominant one. Yeah. If, if I'm with a group of friends, for example, and you know they are non-Muslim and there's males and females and for example they start going into areas like bars and discos and clubs or I'm in a a car and they switch on the different types of music hip-hop and so on here I am in a position of dilemma is my faith going to really emerge as something that is uh, uh, dominant in my life or I want to fit in, I want to become part of this group. So peer pressure plays a role. So what it does, it creates a lot of dichotomy. Yes, it may result in hypocrisy, but what it certainly does is it clouds in the mindset of a youth what is exactly their responsibility, their duty, their vision. And that's why today there's been a lot of people who talk about the, the, the difficulty they have to distinguish between culture and religion mm. because Culture has also made its um, uh, way into a lot of practices. Yesterday I was in a gathering for uh, a Khodja wedding and um, the gathering was organized by the the bride's bride's, uh, side. So it was in the house, many, many people there. So without knowing this culture, I asked the uh, the father of the bride i said um so where is the uh, the groom where is the family i don't see any one of them he said oh they, they they're not here so then i realized then i checked with some people and they said well you know 5 days before the nikah or the wedding none of the groom side are allowed to, <laughs> allowed to come. come and the groom himself can't you know come at the same anywhere close anywhere. To, to the bride i think it's also present in the iraqi community they're not yeah. supposed to see each other yeah. i asked why they said also that they can kind of really look forward <laughs> to each other this is, but, this but is all culture it's culture but what's interesting is it's extended to the family as well in the sense that oh the family can't come because this is a bride gathering you know it's only for the bride family and their friends which I wasn't aware of. But that's fine in the sense that, okay, this is something they've developed, but 
what is going on in the mindset of the youth is that they're bombarded with all these ideas and culture has a position it certainly has a role islam doesn't for example abolish culture at all mm-hmm. um I, i i was in you know a particular debate where you know we're talking about should islam should culture comes first or religion and i remember one uh, sister um Uh, downstairs I think it was she said uh, in in a gathering of lots of uh, youth she said I, I think we should abolish this culture we should have Islamic identity only and I looked at her and I said what did you eat for lunch today she mm. was surprised it was being filmed it's on it's on uh, TV and she said why are you asking me this question I said is there a Muslim identity food your food is part of your culture. culture it's part of your identity as well there's nothing wrong with saying you know I had Pakistani food or I had Somalian food and things like that culture has a position and actually culture has helped uh, in many places uh, religion flourish as well because through cultural practices some people were adherent to faith as well but it's a massive discussion this but just with regards to youth I think we've got to be able to to come up with a model or an understanding education and awareness as to what the future holds and how being British and Muslim and Shia or Sunni or whatever as an identity may be able to be compatible as far as I can embrace those identities. I, I, I have to be able to understand what it means to be British, but also what it means to be Muslim, but not be at the same time be willing to somehow place anything which jeopardizes my faith as priority over my faith. But there is nothing wrong with being British Muslim or, or, or a Muslim British, so to speak. It, it just got to be able to balance between them and find the right uh, right means of utilizing them for our growth. I just want to, you mentioned the future. And this is quite, I feel, a vital question. Uh, I'll try and phrase it in uh, in the best way I can. Do you feel there's now a a gap that's built between the ulama and between the youth today? Mm-hmm. Do, the, do, they, do the ulama understand the youth? Do they understand the challenges that they're facing, the problems that they're facing? Are we more um, involved in, and I, I mean this with all due respect, in more in our centers rather than going out and finding the youth that are not coming to the centers maybe mm. or that are only coming once or twice a year during Muharram or Ramadan. And and, and this is, I feel, it's like it's, it's building up and from what you're saying, you know, the, the whole identity crisis that some youth have it's, it, and the future looking... <laughs> not not the best have the ulama done enough mm. and could they do more see i think it's so easy to blame the ulama or to start with the ulama in in this discussion i think uh, ulama have an important role a very pivotal role i'm speaking for the youth of course because i'm a youth <laughs> i know i know you are and I, i and i wish i could speak on behalf of alama but i'm not an alim i'm just a student so i'm neither youth or an alim but i could i could certainly say that the ulama are not perfect um so i'm not going to stand here or sit here and say look you know don't blame them but at the same time i don't think it's fair to place all the emphasis on them i know there's a lot of expectation from our scholars Uh, especially those in the West to deliver and to be uh, role models and to lead our youth and to show them direction and to provide for them facilities to be able to for them to spiritually grow and to um, 
really strengthen their connection and unity. But we have to maybe make a distinction between scholars who are of the first, second generation, if we consider ourselves third generation or whatever, I think there is a, a clear difference we have seen. From my interaction, I've seen the up-and-coming scholars, scholars who are kind of still in the youthful age, are much more willing to sit with the youth, involve themselves in sports activities, camps and retreats, lead certain organizations, um, their language that they speak with the youth, the delivery of their, uh, of their contents in lectures and majalis and, and workshops and seminars it's, is reflective of the fact that they've lived what the youth are going through and are suffering. And so I guess there is that um, positive aspect that we have to uh, remember. I think uh, at the same time, though, Maybe we lack certain, and I, you know, when we talk about this idea of lacking certain things, we've got to constantly remind ourselves that we mustn't expect others to come and fill it. We should try our best to do what we can. Because I think it's easy to criticize, and I think it's easy to blame and to somehow expect. But today, mm. mashallah, a lot of the youth have a great energy and, and, and facilities and, and the drive and the passion. And I think if you place it, ulama have got a lot of burden on their shoulders, a lot of things that they have to deliver. But what we need is out there institutions and we need organizations that are working side by side with ulama with a clear vision and direction from the marja'iyya, from our esteemed scholars, and are able to utilize facilities to provide what is needed for our youth uh, with consultation with the youth. What we're not seeing, unfortunately, is the um, the identification of areas that are kind of uh, weak or vacuums in the lives of our youngsters. I think it's just uh, a matter of initiative out there. We need initiative. We need guidance, leadership, and direction, not only from the youth. I always say to people, you know, people ask me a question. Okay, for example... I genuinely believe one of the things that we are really lacking at the moment, especially amongst our youth, is the relationship with the Qur'an. If you imagine mm. today, a lot of our youth are afraid of the Qur'an. Yep. They're afraid because they don't understand it. They're afraid because they can't read it. They're afraid because it's a huge ocean uh, of something that's unknown and it's fearful. So what what we are not doing is to facilitate the learning of the Qur'an and the development that our Muslim community can have with the Quran and non-Muslims as well, be inspired by the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that is technologically um, feasible in this day and age, using all kinds of modern ways to, to, to uh, present the, the beautiful words of the Almighty subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when someone comes and says, we don't have a Quran institute or we have an organization dedicated to looking at modern ways of presenting the Quran to the youth out there, mm -hmm. okay? Fair enough, but what it does need is is people who uh, are driven to say, you know what, this is a blessed project. As we have a statement, it's not a hadith, makana lillahi yanmu, whatever you do for Allah will grow, and that's mm -hmm. something people have seen. So if I'm sincerely doing it for the sake of Allah, let me start something off, and then I'll contact this scholar, I'll contact this person who may be an entrepreneur or a, a businessman, and I'll say, look, you know, I have this great project, would you help me, would you support me? 
let's start it off. And I think it's really important that youth seek initiative. One of the main concerns I have of the youth is that they came here, a lot of uh, as, as some of us, when we came to this country, we saw our fathers, they built mosques. Mm. They built these institutions. So we're used to things being given to us on a plate. We're not used to, I was talking to a few brothers from certain communities and they're worried. They're worried because the donations for mosques and centers and this are coming from the older generation. Yeah. The younger generation, they're still getting the, the, the salaries. <laughs> their salaries are probably better than their forefathers by the, or their fathers, by the way. You know, uh, uh, they're, they're getting They've the six-figure sums. Some of them are six-figure sums and whatever, but they're not giving. I'm not, gen- I don't want to generalize. Of course, yeah, yeah. This but is, it's... It's a trend you've you've noticed. They've, they've somehow, somehow become more used to being given and and things given to them there. Oh yeah, I've come, the mosque is, is there. Okay, who's gonna maintain the mosque? Who's gonna get the speakers? Who's gonna think outside the bos- box and start getting uh, uh, new ideas into our centers? Who's gonna get the youth into the mosque? So all these burning questions, I think it's, it's up to the youth themselves and those who have passed that youthful age, those in their 40s and their 50s who've lived here, for example, to sit and say, you know what? I've got to look after my children's future. I've got to do something here. And I have to consider this country, for example, as my country as well. I can't be thinking, okay, you know what? Let's see what goes on in the future. And as the Iraqis say, Allah Kareem business. Allah Kareem. I, I, I need to build. Yeah, inshallah. Inshallah is a great thing. But so inshallah with up. vision, with determination, <laughs> with, you know, put your your uh, your effort where your talk is, I think. My Next question is, I feel is quite important. Um, and before I go into it, I just wanted to hear it from yourself as well. That, and this is not a problem that only the youth, I think, face. It's, it's some of our communities face these issues um, because of their lack of understanding, maybe, of, of this topic. And, um, and that's the difference between a scholar and a speaker. Mm. The difference between a scholar that's spent... 20, 30 years in the house and someone um, that spent less time or self-taught or done uh, summer course. Or. So, and again, I don't want to point the finger at, at, at saying this, the scholar or the speaker or the community, but I feel that this is maybe not so much of a problem today, but it could be a problem in the future. Mm. And uh, the example I could give is, uh, for example, of uh, not knowing, uh, we say in Arabic, not knowing your size mm. or not knowing your status when when, uh, when answering a question or yeah. when speaking about a certain subject. Knowing your limits, basically. Yeah. Uh, so not knowing your limits. <laughs> we say, yeah. or his, his status, his... his and that, that could lead a pro- into a problem because number one, I feel that there's a huge need for English speakers today. Mm. So there's a demand. The problem is, and I studied economics for some reason in, in my A-levels, the supply is not enough. There's not enough uh, English-speaking scholars that uh, are needed around the world. Uh, you know, I don't know the exact figures of centers in the US or the UK, but I'm guessing they're in their hundreds. Yeah, uh, and I'm uh, I, I again I don't know the amount of speakers or scholars that there are out there that are speaking English, but if you as I said the the, the supply isn't matching the demand, so we we have now a, a problem. 
how can we solve solve this problem? Uh, looking into the the main thing that I started with, which is the difference between a scholar and the speaker. I agree that today, due to increasing um, requests from communities to have English lectures, if you compare, for example, the situation now in 2019 to, for example, 2002, 2003, much more centers around the Western world, at least, and even in Africa, mm-hmm. places of Middle East, are requesting their um, congregation to be addressed in English. And this is because, again, globalization, again, again because of the diverse community members that may exist. You know, many communities today don't have just one culture or one type of community uh, you'll get people from different communities coming in so a unifying language would be english so english. definitely that's one of the challenges that um, is becoming quite evident i believe that th- one of the solutions to this is to have uh, a long-term plan certainly and a short-term agenda or or a device some kind of a uh, a strategy. The long-term one is to look at how other faiths have um, developed and uh, really designed a very good system to ensure that scholars with great caliber are graduating from their own seminaries and how they're mm-hmm. being looked after. Uh, there are religious groups who basically uh, promise those students or those people who are looking to get into these professions uh, a salary uh, accommodation mm-hmm. a place to work for example and so on from the outset which is very uh, enticing for our you know for anyone to to get into today if you were to speak to people and to encourage them to get into hausa how is uh, there a guarantee that they will be earning something at the end? Where will they be working? Uh, what is the guarantees uh, that they will be able to remain in this field even? Some of them may graduate and then start. Who should, sorry, who should answer these questions? Who so, should be responsible for this person who's gone to Najaf or Qom for three, five, ten years, hmm. uh, studied? Who's responsible for his wage, for his accommodation? Who should be? Is it is it him? His I think it has to be. There has to be a combined effort from centres and organisations in the West with the houses to design and implement a program where uh, these students, both male and female, by the way, because sometimes we ignore the females, and it's very very important that we encourage them to enrich their understanding of Islam through proper education. Um, to develop a system where they are able to uh, somehow be guaranteed some work if they fulfill the conditions and are able to qualify, for example, after several years of study. What is also needed is, is, I I spoke about this many years ago, I genuinely am a strong believer in localised houses, Mm -hmm. Western-based houses, supported by the houses of Najaf and Qom, for example. And there are one or two. There are one or two, but not enough. And what needs to happen is that these houses need to facilitate for different times, different you know occasions of the year, and at the same time um, have uh, good networks with centers and so on to, to develop uh, these students who enroll. 
What is also missing in the Western world are academies that train public speaking mm. for our own youth. Give me one one organization that does training for public speaking in the Western world for our Muslim students or Muslim brothers and sisters. You see, when I was in Najaf, I was a member of a number of organizations that yeah. represent scholars there who are khutaba. khutaba and, yeah. uh, you know, you sit there and there are everywhere you walk and you see uh, in, 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 the, in the vicinities of the houses, there are these institutes of public speaking. Mm-hmm. There's the Sheikh Al-Wa'ili one, for example, yes, and yes, so on and so forth. We don't have a single one in the Western world. Today, if you have somebody who's just graduated from Hausa, of Qomon Najaf, or here in London, or in anywhere else, and they want to become a good speaker, for example, how do they develop themselves? Especially, oh, they can they can go to public speaking courses generally, and it's possible that they'll get some help. But there's no Shia. But there's yes, yeah, specific ones for our own community, our own youth. Okay, there are so many great talents out there. I'm going to ask the same question I asked a few minutes ago. Whose responsibility is that? It's a responsibility of the youth, the elders, uh, the offices of the marja'iyah, uh, organizations that uh, somehow lead many communities. Yes. Some might say if you're saying it's the responsibility of so many different groups and no one wants to take the initiative, then it's never going to happen. Well, we have a beautiful hadith from Amir Mu'mineen alayhi salam which said that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to be tabibun dawwarun batibbih. So he was a, a, a doctor, a medical physician Healing. who went to look for his patients. Allah. Now today, if you want to go to your GP, you go mm-hmm. to a building where your GP is sitting. Mm-hmm. Your GP doesn't come and look for you. Mm-hmm. Amir Mu'mineen says the Prophet of Islam used to look for those whom he can help and seek inspiration for. And so today we have to ask this question, where is the drive of our community and our youth? MashaAllah, we have some fantastic youth out there with great potential. See, one of the great things about youth is their energy, Mm. their passion. But sometimes they need guidance and leadership. And and this guidance and leadership needs to be channeled in the right way. MashaAllah, and without taking any merit of the importance of organizing majalis, I believe it's a fantastic phenomenon that we see, mm-hmm. especially in the Iraq community and other communities, uh, you know, where there is this um, groups of youth, different organizations coming, coming together, together yeah. and holding these phenomenally successful programs. Yeah. But the question that has to be asked is, Organizing majalis should be the stepping stone, should be the beginning towards many, many other social services and activities that really solve the problem of our youth, as well as educational establishments and and, and institutes and so on and so forth. I don't think we should wait for people uh, to take initiative. I think we should do it ourselves. I genuinely believe that if you look at organizations like Who is Hussein, for example, Mm. it wasn't... Uh, under a direction of a uh, a grand scholar, scholar who came and said, by the way, I want you to do this. It was a group of youth, youth. who sat yeah. together and said, you know what? Let the world know about Hussein ibn Ali and mm. we're going to do it. So they gathered together, they brought some kind of ideas and look at today how many representatives they have around Mashallah. the world and alhamdulillah, it's growing. As an example of what can be done, the potential is great. The opportunity is there. But it's unfortunate that I find that sadly, and I'll start with myself, maybe we have apathy, maybe we have concerns. Maybe I remember being at university and looking at so many of our youth, brothers and sisters, 
and I see them just to reserve, just want to do their education. And I come to them and say, why don't you get involved? Let's get involved in Islamic society. Let's get involved in the Ahlul Bayt society. Let's get involved mm. in these activities. My dad and my mom told me, just stick to studying. <laughs> you know, get the I, degree yeah, in. Get the degree out. You know, I need to get married and have kids. Brilliant. We're not out there to say, let's not be the best. Imam Sadiq says, if there's an area and you're not the best and you're not really a Shia of Ali Muhammad, you've got to be the best. But to be the best means you need to think outside the box. You can't just be sitting, I need, I'll get the minimum. The minimum is to get that degree. The minimum is to be out there and working. But if we're not going to change our affairs, Allah is not going to help us. That has to be the inspiration for us. This verse and so many other verses. The Ahlul Bayt didn't just wait for someone to knock on the door. And I believe today we need that uh, enthusiasm from amongst the youth. I want to touch on something um, which um, is quite important, I feel. And uh, sometimes as uh, male speakers, uh, not just yourself, I'm saying in general, you may get criticized on this. And that's the role of of women in our communities. I'm just going to throw a few a few questions that I've heard or I've read on, on, on Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. Till now, many communities do not have a have a separate hall for women where they do not spe- see the speaker or the scholar. Mm-hmm. Now you're going to say, you know, uh, what's the problem, for example? Or some might say, what's the problem with that? And I would say that this, the same people that are organizing these programs, again, I'm just, this is general, their daughters go into universities and will share the same seat or the same table with a male person. Yeah. Yet in the mosque, they have to be separated with their Muslim brothers. Yeah, when they're under supervision, so that that that's the first. A lot of people say that in our communities till now we don't have women's uh, women in the in the in the committee, mm. so they 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 play no role. Uh, three, there's no women speakers. You'll never see a woman speaker de- delivering a lecture to men. It's always men delivering to men and women. Yeah. Uh, for even when it's when 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 there are youthful activities that are happening, you know, you mentioned who's Hussein uh, again. Other other organizations, I don't know the ins and outs, yeah. maybe of who's, but other youth organizations, they say it's always the men leading, and we're left behind. Mm. And finally, and I'm, I know I've thrown a lot of questions, but it's just things that have come to my mind. They say whenever the 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 the, 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 the men scholars do want to speak about women. And their mm. role in community is always about hijab. <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I, I met a speaker just <laughs> recently, and I, he was telling me about um, what lectures, inshallah, he was doing for Muharram. And one of the topics he said, uh, he said, I really want to do hijab, but I don't want to at the same. I said, why? He said, you know, we've rinsed this topic. Yeah. And, you know, he said, we've rinsed this topic. Yeah. So, so all these problems, and 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 and. The women feel there is there there has been no progression, and uh, even from the old generation, and, and now the youth is the same. Yeah, I feel I feel that the the whole subject of women empowerment needs its own attention and uh, a lot of focus. It's a whole podcast and awareness. Yes, <laughs> um, because we are not uh, people who are moving with the times. I refuse to accept this issue that because there's. Movements like the Me Too and all that around the world demanding equality and women's rights, all of a sudden we have to somehow abide by this or go with it. 
I believe that, especially in the school of Ahl al-Bayt and religion of Islam or in general, there is a lot of emphasis and great respect for women and as well as that scope for the inspirational role that women can play, uh, given the brilliant example of Sayyidatina Nisa Fatima, Sayyida Zainab, Lady Khadija, other great women in Islam. What needs to happen is education um, amongst our communities to start off with. I think things tides is changing. Our youth are much more in line or our understanding of the potential and the great role that women can have uh, in society. So as far as, for example, speakers are concerned, this is going to require parents to be able to kind of somehow remove these cultural um, shackles and be able to focus on serving the religion. The best people who will speak about uh, the role of females and um, the importance um, that they have is they themselves. Much better than people like me or you, anyone who goes out there and says Islam respects women and things like that. But there is a very interesting uh, line of thought that's coming up now. And that's to say, why should men or women constantly talk about women's rights in Islam. It's as if, you know, your you're, you're, rights have been taken yeah, away. It, no, yeah, obviously there's a big difference between Muslims and Islam. Yes, mm-hmm. Let's face it, people like Taliban have you yeah, know, really, yeah, really uh, uh, misrepresented Islam in many, many different ways, ISIS and so on. But at the same time, women should not only be speaking and men should not only be speaking about issues to do with these matters. And, and I think we need to kind of step back as well. It's a good point uh, that some are making that, look, stop just talking about women's rights and things like that. Let, let's talk generally as well and include women in, in, in all the discussions as to what the, you know roles they, they can uh, have in society. I've been an advocate of more women speakers. I've said it in many majalis that we need to develop and encourage our sisters to um, attend houses and, and seminaries and be in important positions. Um, I think it's there's there's a lot of scope there to to do. And in many organizations you see some of our sisters, mashallah, the most active, really, mm. really um, leading by example in, in many ways. But perhaps what we need to also say at this juncture that we are very much keen and very much supportive of the push to ensure that they are represented at committee levels of our mosques, not just to be in charge of women's affairs. Because <laughs> some of the brothers would say, yes, we have sisters in our committee, but they look after women's programs. No, it's not only about women's programs. They should be involved in other decision-making mm. processes as well. And all these aspects as well to encourage education, all this is great. But at the same time, there is a movement that is pushing for liberal ideas mm. and thoughts which okay, is okay. Um, problematic because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is a wise creator he has given each and every creation of his uh, uh, traits, abilities, skills in accordance with, with with many things that they can achieve and I think sometimes the roles of men and women are confused many mm. times. Islam is very much for women to be at the workplace. Uh, there's nothing wrong with our sisters being out there uh, leading by example with the Islamic modest uh, clothing of hijab. Mm. Mm. But at the same time, their role as a mother, 
which cannot be, be done by uh, uh, replaced or mm. somehow fulfilled by, anyone by else. a father or anyone else yeah, must not be taken for granted. I want to pick up on a point here. You mentioned a really critical point, and that is, you know, people saying, oh, lectures about hijab, we've rinsed it, we've yeah, done yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Just maybe the way we've presented Islam and the teachings of Islam through the mimbar needs to be rethought and the terminology we have used and the styles and the methods that we have developed mm, interesting maybe yeah. Yeah. nice way um, of putting it too uncomfortable sometimes extreme mm-hmm. let me elaborate on this in in yes. arabic we have this thing called al khitab dini which is translated as the style of the or the content, the style of the uh, message that we are presenting and as far as religious uh, teachings are concerned. As people who have been blessed and truly given this wonderful responsibility of propagating the message of the religion of Islam as taught by the Holy Prophet and the Ahl al-Bayt, peace and blessings be upon them all, we have to understand that we don't live in a world where People will take it easy when I sit there on an elevated place and say, you have to do this. If you don't, you're going to be punished like this or how dare you and things like that. Even uh, raising the voice and and, and projecting and using certain terminology Mm -hmm. may be putting people away or pushing people away from the religion. And we have a silent majority of the youth who may be not attending the mosque or uh, programs. Maybe they come from Muharram only. They're watching a bit of YouTube here and there when they get moments where they want to get closer to Allah, whatever they want. Mm. They want that inspiration. But how are we presenting religion to them? How how are they, you know, getting this uh, Quran and Halal Bayt information and knowledge? Is it something that's making them think, wow, this is something that's really going to change my life? Or is it, for example, God forbid, just scaremongering, using fear language, you know, punishment, dark, you know, that kind of thing. What image of God the Almighty are we giving to our um, children? Interesting. Yeah. How are we raising our youngsters, our daughters, our sons? In which, now, I understand that maybe back in the time or even our forefathers and so on, there was a style that they were accustomed to. Mm. There was a methodology that they uh, developed, and that's the only way that they would practice religion. But today, maybe this khitab dini the style and the methodology of delivering of religion, needs to be reformed. Mm. And this is where not only should majalis and lectures need to be re-looked at in terms of how we're presenting this knowledge, but also utilizing all the other ways that we have at our disposal. And I'm, in a, I'm a very big advocate and a big supporter of workshops and courses mm. and dialogues awesome. and what today people talk about known as something called andragogy as opposed to pedagogy. Pedagogy mm. is when you walk and you talk down to people the way we speak to our kids. But andragogy is the way I'm talking to you now. I'm looking at you at the same eye level. We're having a conversation and learning things tends to take place much, much better when it's andragogic, okay, Uh, rather than pedagogic. So this is something that we need to develop. This is something that really is 
burning need going forward in as far as tabligh is concerned and presenting the message of Islam is concerned and something we have to make a priority in, in all and something maybe speakers, scholars, uh, institutions and thinkers should be constantly pushing, should be constantly having a discussion about how can I improve my style of delivery, my content of delivery, what am I choosing, what are the areas that I should be focusing on for the development of the Muslim Western person who is living in these countries facing all these challenges. This is key for our development as a community. You mentioned um, the delivering of the majlis, the delivering of of, 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 of the lecture, um, and that's quite important. Um, we're coming up in the next, maybe I think in four weeks, we've got Muharram. Um, first of all, how, how do you, and this is for you to answer, so how do you prepare your, your, your topics for Muharram, especially... Uh, the 12 nights The first 10 or 12 nights And I, I feel it's important now Because of of, 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 the, of YouTube Because of uh, TV Because these lectures are not just now Directed to the people sitting in the mosque Even if it's 500, 1000, 1500 people sitting in the mosque mm. That you've got now a wider audience Do you, do you put that lens on where when you, when you prepare your topics Are you delivering it to the centre course i know you're not because now you know you know the, the, the lectures go on youtube and yeah so so there's a wider audience how do you pick your topics then because that makes it even now more difficult because you're if you're for example maybe i don't know some pakistani communities will have different issues to some iraqi issue, uh, problems to the khojas they all have different so so how do you pick your topics for muharram and where you know have you picked your topics for this Muharram first? Yes, yes, yes. Ten topics. Uh, twelve topics you've got ready. Yes, yes. Alhamdulillah, half of them are done. Half. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm working towards the other half. Inshallah. Um so I guess it differs between speakers and I think it's about identification of what is required, needs of the community and the strength of the speaker themselves. You see Sometimes we have to come out of our comfort zones. There are areas that we love to talk about. There are areas that we feel were strong. But at the same time, we've got to understand the needs of the time as well. And yes, there's a wide, diverse crowd that you normally address. And Muharram is a special time. And, and, and obviously there are people who come to Muharram Majalis who may not come for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. So you need to utilize this wonderful opportunity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. And a lot of progression and development has happened through Muharram Majalis. This is why it's emphasized so much by the Ahlul Bayt Because people's lives have been changed in Muharram. It is a great chance to touch the lives of these individuals. And a lot of the times something that doesn't mention, it's not mentioned. But it's a chance for ourselves to change ourselves as well. Mm, nice. It's a wonderful opportunity to re-look at ourselves because you know sometimes when you're preparing for these majalis you think okay am I going to really emphasize on this point and I'm not really practicing it uh, as much mm. Allah blessed the soul of Sheikh Abbas Al-Qummi as he said as you know he used to you know he was about to publish the Mafatih Al-Jinan but he held back because he decided to practice everything in there before he published oh, wow. it which is a phenomenal thing in Mafatih Al-Jinan it's just there I've seen oh, it so <laughs> it's it's amazing that you know some of some of our scholars have emphasized this idea that I have to walk the 
the walk and talk the talk at the same time. So, uh, you know, in, in these areas, I think th- this is one limitation where you look at this and you think, wow, if I talk about lowering the gaze and I'm not lowering the gaze as much, uh, I, I, it will be hypocritical. I, I, I can't do it. And it's so important because, you know, this is not a job that um, we're assessed by the people. It is something that we are assessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and mm. by Imam Sahib al-Asri wa Zaman ajallahu ta'ala mm. farajahum whom we have to believe is sitting in the crowd mm. and who's going to tell us, look, I was sitting in a crowd. Why did you say that? Why did you mention this hadith oh, in, in so the right, in the incorrect context? It's so a test, testing time for the speaker or the scholar as well. It's Muharram. a massive time. Yeah. Every speech is, is, is an examination and a trial for of all of us. Um, but specifically Muharram because the subject of Imam Hussein salam and the whole epic story of Ashura uh, touches our hearts so passionately and, and, and it means so much to all of us. Um, the Marja'iyya constantly encourage the speakers, the ulama, to be avoiding topics that cause division in the community, mm, to unite the community as much as possible, and not to talk about, for example, slandering this person or attacking this individual, but rather nourishing mm. the souls of the people. Remembering that these people have come from work, they're looking for that inspiration, they're looking, they, you know, I sometimes look at those people sitting there and you know, looking at me, and I sometimes imagine them telling me somehow, uh, telling me, hit me with something. Give me something that I'm going to go home now and think, you know what? That meant so much to me. I'm going to change yeah, something well, in my life. Maybe, maybe. Mm, yeah. if, if, and across those 10, 12 nights, something was said that makes them think we've done our job. Oh, we've done our job. So yes, the type of community you speak to does make a slight difference. But like you said, it is a global village now. Mm. And uh, sometimes we've got to look at wide range of topics to try and you know ensure that we don't lose a certain group who are not interested in history or spirituality or akhlaq, but try to have an integrated approach as much as possible to bring these topics together in, as, in, a, in, a, in a, a very... Uh, uh, presentable manner so that it's, it's uh, enticing for our community. I, I'm looking forward to your lecture, Sheikh. Just give us one topic. I know it's, you don't usually like to give away. What should we look forward to? Uh, I can't give you a topic. Hit me with something. <laughs> <laughs> Hit me with something, Sheikh. Well, you know, uh, inshallah, this Muharram will be the first time that I'm going to do a series. Oh, interesting. Uh, and it's a series that I've researched and researched and I could not find any single wow. English lecture in, in YouTube or anywhere else on this series. Interesting. Okay, so I look forward it, to it. it's something... Hopefully, for the first time, the lectures will be on YouTube on the same day, inshallah. uh, On the same day, and I've done a lot of research on this uh, topic. Uh, It's going to be, inshallah, I hope, and I pray to Allah. You haven't hit me with something yet. I need, I need it. Well, that's it. (laughs) I'm hitting you with anticipation. (laughs) I'm hitting you with this anticipation. But I guess what we have to always remember is that the, the. Generally, when we're having these discussions about Muharram, about vision of the community, about our youth, about the future, all this, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with us. Allah tabarakahu wa ta'ala blesses us. We have to rely on him. We have to have tawfiq. But above all, we have to have sincerity. We have to do this for his sake. We have to go into all these projects and initiatives and ideas with the complete 100% determination that we're doing it for his sake because uh, otherwise it's definitely uh, something that will fail 
And uh, we pray to him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, that that tawfiq, that blessing, that acceptance of deeds is bestowed upon us and then we can truly serve. That's what we really intend to do. That service to mankind uh, is so noble. And inshallah, we can be inspired and inspire each other. Uh, we can help each other to fulfill goals uh, that we uh, will definitely please Allah and uh, help mankind, inshallah. Finally, Sheikh, um, uh, as... As the whole community came together during the holy month of Ramadan, uh, when they heard the news of your eldest son Hadi, um, Alhamdulillah, I, um, I I spoke to you as well about it. I said this is the first time I've seen the community uh, come together for a purpose, and that was the du'a for your son Hadi. Mm. Um, not a lot of people have direct contact to you, maybe. Like I'm very lucky enough to know you as as a friend. And the uh, older brother So I have contact with you uh, directly I can ask you But a lot of people are wondering How is the health of Hadi um, If you can update us update us on this Alhamdulillah You know uh, I'm absolutely grateful uh, Above all without comparison with, To the Almighty Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala uh, His grace, His mercy, His blessings Are so abundant And um, cannot be thankful enough to Him uh, Jalla wa'ala For all that uh, He's provided for us and of course the community has been fantastic great support um the month of ramadan was difficult um because obviously had to cancel the commitment and the lectures um in america and a few nights in east africa in mombasa but the community were brilliant in their support their du'as their well wishes and i think this helped a lot psychologically and also for the health of my son as well Alhamdulillah, he's going through the chemotherapy with his all challenges, um, good days and some challenging days, I would call them. And inshallah, you know, he's very positive, he's very hopeful, uh, he's determined to fight it off. And uh, inshallah, with the continuous du'as of the Mu'mini and Mu'minat, he'll be able to overcome this. And I told him personally that this is uh, a great moment in his life to be able to utilize it, inshallah, for uh, him to achieve excellence in life inshallah, inshallah. You know? Because you know going through a, a condition like this um, For many people at the later stages in life is difficult But if you go through it as a child as a 12 year old And inshallah you come out of it Then it really sets the scene for your life Because mm. you've gone through this really difficult thing That most people won't go through in their mm. lives uh, so you're in a good It's as if you've passed this Very advanced driving course That only the police do Because you need, <laughs> to, you need it in your life So you've really passed this Amazingly tough examination So then inshallah Throughout his life He'll be able to utilize this uh, For um, the uh, excellence In all aspects inshallah That he can achieve And maybe even help others who go through similar conditions or difficulties, uh, trials and hardship, uh, and, and inspire them to look at the uh, positives of it and become out a better person, inshallah. Inshallah, well, we're here at the Progeny team. Uh, we'll continue to Thank make dua for him. Our listeners, our viewers, inshallah, will continue. Uh, and the du'as for Hadi and a speedy recovery, inshallah. Uh, at this difficult time, inshallah, we wish you and your family all the best, inshallah, and all exactly. the tawfiq. Exactly. And I'd like to once again thank you for making time. I know you're going My to. My pleasure. Have. Thank you for pleasure. making time uh, you. to come on the progeny, and inshallah, we'll see you very soon. Thank inshallah. You. Thank you. Alaykum.